But um, I've been buddies with Christian for almost 20 years now. I can't believe it. And we have been praying for this church. It's really not a church. I consider it a movement of what God has done, what he is doing, and what he is going to do. And and the, the, the one word that I think about when I think of Christian Newsom is, is really genuine. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, he's very genuine, and he's been just a dear friend of mine. And he promised that he would um, hurt me if I tell any stories on him. So um, I, I enjoy my life, and, uh, but no, it's, it's good. So um, a few years ago, my wife and I uh, took our two girls to Disney World in Orlando, Florida. So uh, we left here. We went and stayed with my in-laws in Jacksonville, Florida, where my wife is from. And we woke our girls up. They were about five and three at the time. We woke our girls up at, I think, like five in the morning. They were, their bodies were just like flailing. They didn't know if they were coming or going. We, we buckled their lifeless bodies into the 27-point safety harness, you know, the, the French fry storage container or the, you know, the, the car seat. So they bu- buckle them in, and they're asleep, and then they're in their PJs. And then about, about an hour into the trip, they start waking up, and we're about an hour away from Orlando. And so they start asking questions, and they say, where are we going? We say, girls, 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 mom and daddy have a surprise for you. They go freaked out, you know, they're screaming, they're hoping and hollering. And we asked our oldest daughter, Caroline, we said, Caroline, where do you want to go? She goes, I want to go to Walmart. <laughs> True story. Now, now, I know what you're thinking. I, this is what I'm thinking. I should have said yes. I should have said yes, and I would have saved me like $2,000, right? She goes, uh, she goes, I want to go to Walmart, and I want to get a Barbie doll. And we're like, no, we're not going to Walmart to get a Barbie doll. Something bigger. She goes, am I going to go to Walmart to get a new booster seat? I mean, it's like, wow, I got to get my kids out of the house more. Like, no. So we pulled over to a rest stop, and we told our girls, girls, we're not going to Walmart. We're not getting a Barbie or a booster seat, but we're going to Disney World. And they freaked out. They were screaming and hooping and hollering. They were going all over the place until my youngest daughter said, squirrel, literally squirrel. And she ran over and looked at the squirrel. So for like three seconds, they were excited. And we, had a, we went to Disney World and had a great time. And, and, uh, and I thought about that story. What would have happened if we would have just settled on Walmart? Now, at the time, they would have been like, man, this is awesome. I got a new Barbie doll. But if we would have told them later that, girls, we really were going to go to Disney World, but you guys settled on Walmart, and they would have been like, Dad, Mom, what are you thinking? How many times in our lives is God saying, I have so much more for you? I have so much bigger, greater, wonderful. Quit settling over here. Because oftentimes, the Disney World requires some risk. The the Disney World, it requires some faith. It requires getting out of our comfort zone. And oftentimes, we settle for those dreams that maybe we once had to be buried under the rug of safety and say, oh, no, 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 maybe I'll just hold that over here. See, I want to kind of shake you off a little bit this morning. I kind of want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to cajole you. I want to motivate you, whatever. And however this message lands on you today, I've been praying that God would do something miraculous in your life. Because I believe, I truly believe this from the bottom of my heart. I believe 
that you can change the world for your generation. I really believe that. I wake up thinking about that. I tell everybody that I meet, hey, we're going to change the world today. My daughters get sick and tired of hearing me at the drop-off line. My girls, you're going to have a great day. Today, you're going to be a leader. Today, you're going to help somebody. And today, you're going to change the world. And they're like, Dad, I know. I'm just going. I'm trying to get through the third grade, okay? But I believe it. I believe it. So to help us with that, I want you to pray a very simple but also a very dangerous prayer. So I want you to point at your chest, okay, and say, Lord, disturb me. Go ahead. Lord, disturb me. Because oftentimes, we don't move because we're not disturbed enough. We don't decide because we're not disturbed. And, and when you start hearing about the possibility of making a dent in this world, of changing the world, of being a change agent, of making a difference, all of these thoughts of doubt immediately flood through your mind. If you're like me, who am I going to, who, how, how can I, when do I have the time? Some of you moms are in here like, I don't have time to change the world. I'm just changing some diapers. Can I get an amen? Some of your grandmas are like, if that boy goes out of town one more time and leaves me with his kids, And you start thinking about all of these excuses. Who's going to listen to me? I don't have the influence. I don't have the platform. I don't have the stage. I don't have, I don't, I'm not educated enough. All of these demons of doubt, I call them. We tuck them in at night. We're good hosts. We give them these demons of doubt, three very nice warm meals a day. And they become our snuggie. We wrap them around us and it becomes our excuse. But today we're going to look in the Old Testament at a guy. He's not a preacher. He's not a prophet. He's not a king. He's not a president. He's a regular dude. In fact, he's a bartender who changed the world for his generation. A guy named Nehemiah. Jimmy Dodd preached on it last week, gave some great historical background. If you weren't here last week, go online and follow along. And I'm going to kind of piggyback on what Jimmy's message was. And we're going to look at the 10 building blocks So if you're a note taker, you're going to love this. The 10 building blocks to fulfilling your God-birthed dream. We're going to be looking in the life of Nehemiah. If you don't know where that is or need a Bible, the ushers will help you with a Bible. You can keep it. It's our gift to you. I think that Journey has given away over 1,000 Bibles in the last few years. So if you need one, just raise your hand. It can be your gift, or if you didn't have one, you can borrow one as well. Go to Psalms and Proverbs, and then just go left a little bit, and you'll find kind of an obscure book of Nehemiah. Now, to give you a little bit of context, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, to the most powerful man in the world. Now, a cupbearer is a royal food tester, a wine tester. He would test the food before it was given to the king. If someone was going to poison the king, they would try to do it through his food, and if the cupbearer died, then he did his job. It's sort of like when I take my girls to Sonic, it has to be tested for poison. They're slushies and uh, amen, amen. And it's crazy because these these people trying to poison their food are getting very uh, good at what they do because the poison is now going about halfway down. 
And so we have to, and it's so funny when my girls, they're so innocent, so please don't tell them they're journey kids right now. Um, when we're in the car with their friends and we go to Sonic, they always hand their cup to me. And their friends are like, what are you doing? I'm like, do not kill this. Like, dude. But that was Nehemiah's job. He had a pretty plush job. And the story of Nehemiah picks up when he is in a city called Susa. Everyone say Susa. Susa was 200 miles north of Babylon. It was the Persian retreat center for the Persian king. So you can imagine the hanging gardens of Babylon. Yeah, seven wonders of the world. This was luxurious. It was exclusive. It was vacation. So you can imagine Nehemiah lounging poolside, looking at the palm trees in the distance, drinking a drink that has an umbrella in it, reading his People magazine, and minding his own business. When all of a sudden, one of his brothers that he hadn't seen in years comes over the horizon with a few other friends. And he looks and he says, is that my brother Hanani? And the closer he gets, they embrace and they said, man, how are you doing? How is life, how's family? And this is the question that he asks, how's Jerusalem? Very simple question. But behind that question, is something extraordinarily powerful because he asked in ignorance. He didn't have CNN.com or didn't have Snapchat or Twitter or the Facebook back in the day. So he didn't know how Jerusalem was doing. Jerusalem in 605 BC had been ransacked by a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. He took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, we know, took them and exiled them, the best and the brightest, 900 miles away to Babylon. But he destroyed the city, the walls, God's holy city that was supposed to be a, a livelihood of protection destroyed the walls. And without walls, the city was defenseless. Without walls, it was protectionless. And without walls, the glory of God in his city was a mockery. So when Nehemiah asks his brother, hey, how's Jerusalem? How are the walls? He was asking about the character of God. The story picks up in Nehemiah chapter 1 in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, or Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, and I, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Genuine request, how's it going? Nehemiah 1.3. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. See, Nehemiah hears the news, the brutal facts of reality. And he had a couple of choices. And and when you and I hear stats and we listen to commercials and we see the statistics and we hear news of the atrocities going around the world, we have a couple of choices what Nehemiah, if he were like you and me, honestly, he would probably say, man, I'm going to, man, that stinks for them. I'm going to put them on my prayer list. And meanwhile, he's going to open up his Bose noise-canceling headphones. He's going to put these on, if he were like us. He would flip the switch, airplane mode. Hold on. I can't hear a thing. 
I love these things. I'm a huge fan. Anytime I go to the Bose store, I just say, here's my money. I can't hear you laugh. (laughs) It's really weird right now. Oftentimes when we hear news, we hear a church announcement, we hear a story from a missionary, we hear things that are going around in the world of maybe what God wants to do to get us involved, we put these bad boys and say, no, 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 no. I'm really good. I'm really fine. Wow, that was weird. He didn't do that. He allowed the brutal facts of reality to sink inside of his soul, and he became disturbed. Disturbed. And if you're taking notes, the first building block that we're going to look at today is not dream. It's not a plan. It's not a strategy. It's not even prayer. It's a disturbance. Everyone say disturbance. Disturbance. It says in Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4, So it was when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, news like this rocked him to the core. This was his 9-11 moment. This was his, man, I got to do something about it. If nobody else is going to focus on the walls of Jerusalem, I don't have the experience. I'm a cupbearer. I'm not a construction worker. I'm a bartender. I'm not a builder. But if no one else is going to do it, by golly, sign me up. That was his moment. He was frustrated. He had this firestorm of frustration inside of his gut. He could not shake. And for four months, he's praying and saying, God, if this is really true, then make a way. You see, the dictionary says disturbance is the interruption of a settled and peaceful condition. I like to put it this way. Disturbance is the riot in your soul that aggravates you to move towards something bigger than yourself. Have you had one of those lately? Or maybe you've been burying that disturbance for several years because you're afraid of the negativity of others or the criticism or those demons of doubt. Or what if I don't succeed? Or what if I don't come to fruition? My prayer is that you would pray a simple but dangerous prayer over the next 30 days. If, if you're ready, simply pray this. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. And what you focus on expands. And so when you focus on the broken heart of God, you're going to see opportunities everywhere, everywhere. You start seeing through God's vision, not through your own selfishness. You start seeing opportunities instead of just criticizing. You, you, you start activating that faith instead of just passively putting your life through autopilot. All right, building block number one, disturbance. Okay, we're there. Nehemiah is disturbed. Number two, the next building block is dependence. Everyone say dependence. Dependence. You see, this is how a divine disturbance works. God will place something on your heart that is impossible for you to accomplish on your own, apart from prayer. You see, if the size of your disturbance isn't, intimidating to you, there's a good chance it's insulting to God, okay? So he's not going to give you just something that you can do, because if you can do it, then you get all the glory for it. Dependence, driving you to your knees. 
And maybe you're in a season where you have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter or a prodigal husband or a prodigal wife or, you know, you just think that there's no hope in sight. When's the last time you prayed about it? You see, Nehemiah was a leader from the knees up. He was praying. It says in Nehemiah 1.5, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night. Do you pray day and night, like around the clock? When you go to sleep, you're praying. When you wake up, you're praying all throughout the day. You're praying, you're fasting. You're allowing this to just rock you. Let's take some time out of our busy schedule, pause from all of the demands and just say, okay, God, it's me and you. He was a man of dependent prayer. Let me ask you this. Do, do your prayers make God yawn? Are, are demons unmoved by your petitions? I mean, if, if I followed you around or if you followed me around for the next 30 days and you recorded or I recorded all of your prayers, both silent and vocal, what would my pen be forced to write? Over and over again, bless me, protect us, keep us safe, comfort us. God is great, God is good, let us think it's worth it. I mean, what would, what would I write? Maybe God is going to challenge you to, to move. And, and, and Nehemiah prayed for two things. He prayed for an opportunity, and he prayed for favor. An opportunity and favor. He didn't say, Lord, man, those people are a mess. Send somebody. Which that's what we always pray, right? Help them. I pray that somebody raises up. When, when a guy on the team comes over to me, and he says, hey, hey, preacher, preacher, preacher. All right, chap. This guy over here, he needs Jesus, man. He, God's really put him on my heart. So can, can you talk to him? I said, whoa, 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 whoa. If, if, if God's put that player on your heart, you talk to him. Oh, bro, I can't. I, just, I don't know what to say. I was like, yeah, you do. I was like, you can run out of a stadium in front of 100,000 screaming fans. You can go across the locker room and talk about Jesus to a player. Oh, I mean, you can see these guys who are big and burly, you know, 900 pounds. I'm like poking them in the chest. I'm like, bro, what? Are you, are you scared? Yeah, 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 you know? I'm like, come on, man. He prayed for an opportunity, but he also prayed for favor. This, this unmistakable hand of God that, that can't be explained but can't be denied. And I, I would just challenge you when you're praying, pray for an opportunity but also pray for God's supernatural favor on whatever you are doing. All right, so we have disturbance, and then we have dependence. Next, we have dream. Everyone say dream. You see, I, I want to I flex your dream muscles a little bit this morning, okay? You see, in Nehemiah, he didn't just start off with a dream. That, that, that's where a lot of pop culture gets it wrong. We start off and say, if you dream it, you believe it, you can achieve it, you just dream it. No. Because every dream will fail. It may be a good idea, but not a God idea. The first two are so important, the dependence, the disturbance, with then birth into a dream. So Nehemiah's dream was to be able to go back and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. He talks to his boss, who at the time, if he was a sad in the king's presence, that could have been, ex uh, he, he could have died. And so he was very kind of nervous. And so it says in Nehemiah chapter 2, 
In verse four, then the king said to me, what do you request? This was after the king says, and now are, are, are you sad, Nehemiah? So I prayed to the God of heaven. You better believe it, he prayed, because he wanted to live. And I said to the king, I'm sure he took a big, deep breath. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found, there's that word again, favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Uh, behind story, you see, Nehemiah was basically saying, Artaxerxes, you are benefiting greatly from Jerusalem being destroyed. I want to make you lose money and Jerusalem prosper. What do you say? I mean, talk about a dream. Talk about audacity. Talk, talk about courage. Well, you can walk in courage. You can walk in audacity when you know that it's been bathed in prayer. You can walk in faith when you know that, hey, God, it's me and you, and that's it. You can have that kind of divine disturbance, that divine confidence. And if you can spell the word dream, D-R-E-A-M, you can help crystallize this idea in your own personal life. The first D is a desire, the what of your dream. Have you ever written out exactly what you feel God's calling you to do? A lot of us have these vague notions of like, man, I want to be prosperous. I want my children to be blessed. Well, what does that mean? Like, really, like write it out, your desire. And then the R is your reason. This is your why. When you know your why, you'll know your way. What is your why? Why do you get up in the morning? I tell the players all the time, why are you playing this game? Why? Is it to make a lot of money? I hope not. Is it to make a big name for yourself? I hope not because every record that you make is gonna be broken. But I challenge them to leverage their platform to share Jesus with the world. My strategy with the Chiefs is very simple. Three words, win, build, and send. Win them to Jesus, build them up, send them out. And repeat the process every year because NFL stands for not for long. So I don't have a whole lot of time with these guys promise. Win them to Christ, build them up, send them out. Leverage. Why do you have thousands upon thousands upon millions of followers? Not so you can, they can see what you ate that day on Twitter, so you can share Jesus with the world. Because God's raised them up to have an incredible platform. Let's leverage that. Why? The E is your experience. You see, God never wastes an experience. And you may have an experience that you're like, man, I wish God would waste that because that was a bad marriage or that was a bad decision or that was a bad bankruptcy or that was a bad issue. No, no, no. He's never going to waste an experience, whether good or bad. He can redeem that which was bad with the enemy used for destruction. He can use for deliverance, amen? Experience. What are the experiences that you have? The A is ability. You see, we are all wired a little bit differently. Some of us have great skills at Excel spreadsheets. And if, how many of you guys are in here who have great, come on, don't be, don't be shy. Raise your hand. Anybody, I see you over there. All right. See, people, I, like, I don't understand. I, I go cross-eyed, and I like want to get in the fetal position to call my mom. I'm like, oh, no, this is, and, and I have to do that on, on a weekly basis. And I, I'm so terrible at it. But that's a gift. I'm sure that you could look at that and say, like, man, I'm crushing it today. Like, this is what I love to do. We're all wired differently. 
We all have a unique set of skills that God has given you. Quit wasting it just on your own bank account. Use it for the glory of God. And then maturity. Maturity is the M. You see, oftentimes the dream is real, but the dream is not real in us yet. And God has to send us into this idea where he has to do something in us before he can do something through us. And maybe you're in that camp today, and that's the next building block, number four, which is delay. Everyone say delay. How many of you love red lights? Oh, yeah, we, we, man, I love red lights. Man, I'm, I'm in a hurry, and I love a red light. No, we, we don't like red lights. We don't like to wait. Here's the thing. The only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you would have waited on God. That spoke to somebody here this morning. I'm going to say that again. The only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you would have waited on him. Oftentimes, he wants to chisel us into the image of his son so that we can be prepared to handle the weight of the disturbance that he has given us. It says in Nehemiah 2 and verse 1, it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of our King Artaxerxes. You see, from the month of Chislev to Nisan in the Jewish calendar is four months. It took Nehemiah four months of prayer, of fasting, of planning, of on his face before the Lord, before he even had an opportunity to talk to the king. And four months in biblical times is rapid pace. I mean, you, you look at other characters in the Bible. Abraham had to wait 100 years. Moses, 40 years working for his father-in-law. As a shepherd, Joseph in the Old Testament, 13 years, either in prison or slavery. But God was preparing him the whole way. Paul in the New Testament had to wait anytime between three and 14 years after he gave his life to Christ to go back to Jerusalem and preach. Jesus waited 30 years. Can you imagine Jesus? You know, when a guy brings a table back that he had been working on his construction, he's like, man, you, you missed this. I can imagine him like, bro, you don't even know who you're talking to. Like, I'm, I, I created you, and now you're complaining about my carpentry? But he had to wait until it was God's time. Delay. I love living in Kansas City. I grew up in Spring Hill, Kansas. Anybody know Spring Hill, Kansas? Let's give a shout out. Yeah! All 2,500 people. One stoplight, Gambino's Pizza. Best pizza in the world. I worked there when I was 13 years old. They paid me cash under the table. I used to, here's a funny story. I used to sell my older sister's phone number to boys to make money. True story. True story. I'm very proud. I was very creative as a kid. And now I'm a preacher. Uh, whatever. So from Kansas City International Airport, you can't get anywhere. I mean, I love our airport because you can get in and out, but you always have to go via somewhere else, like, because we're not a hub. A few years ago, my wife and I went to San Antonio via Chicago. Like, why, why do, sometimes you have to go like Minneapolis to get to Chicago. You're like, why am I always going backwards to go forward? And I thought about that. That is the same in God's will. Sometimes God says, I want you to go backwards to meet certain people and to prepare yourself so that you can be ready for San Antonio because you're not ready yet. You think you're ready, but you're not. Maybe God has you in a season of delay. And don't think of it as God's punishment. Think of it as his 
pruning and his protection and his provision for you because he loves you. And he knows that you can't handle San Antonio yet. That's why you have to go to Chicago and experience Chicago-style popcorn. Anyway, I digress. Sometimes we have to go backwards, go forwards. When I became a Christian, 16 years old, um, really there was a girl that I had a crush on who wouldn't date me unless I went to church with her. So I went to church and got saved. And um, I wanted to go be a pastor. Like, the day after I got saved. Like, I wanted to go start a church. And uh, I'll never forget, I um, had business cards made, flyers. I had a ministry pager. I'm not even kidding. And I wanted to go. I didn't need to go to cemetery, seminary. That's what I called it. And I was like, man, I just, I'm, I'm going to go. Like, I'm, man, God's giving me this burden, this disturbance. Man, I'm going, you know. And so I was 17 years old, and a buddy of mine's parents asked me to go to Einstein Bagel. And I should have wondered, like, why are my buddy's parents inviting me to go to breakfast? I was like, maybe they want to join my church team, you know? It's like, sweet. So we're sitting in line, Einstein Bagel, and this guy says, uh, so you want to be a pastor? I was like, yeah, here's my business card. Here you go. You want to be a pastor? He goes, you think you're ready? He's like, man, I'm ready. Like, I've been a Christian for like eight months. I'm like, I got this Bible. I read through the Bible. I'm, I'm ready. He goes, okay, pastor, um, what are the Ten Commandments? It's like, everyone knows the Ten Commandments. He goes, no, list them in order. I was like, <laughs> uh, and I went blank, like total blank. I said, God helps those who help themselves. Don't steal, cheat. Uh, I got like three of them. He goes, oh, okay, pastor. He goes, where are the Ten Commandments located? I was like, uh, in the older part of the Bible, <laughs> on the left side. He's like, so you don't think that you need to go to cemetery? I was like, yeah, I probably, I probably should. And that all happened before we got our bagels. Like, that conversation, I realized that I had a whole lot of passion. I mean, we, we led 65 of our high school kids to Christ my senior year. We only had 400 kids in our high school. I mean, we had like an all-out revival at Spring Hill High. It was unbelievable, but I wasn't ready to be a pastor. God had to send me through and challenge and mold. Maybe you're in here today and you have this burning desire. Uh, I would challenge you to tweak two words or two letters, really. Define or refine. Some of us define our lives by the point of delay that we're in. I'm just divorced. I'm just a stay-at-home. I just lost a job. I'm, I just got cut from the team. I have this same conversation with players every training camp. Are you going to allow the fact that you got cut from the 53-man roster to define you or to refine you, to allow the amazing, gracious hand of the silversmith to put you over the fire to burn out all the impurities so that when all the impurities are burnt out, that silversmith can look at you. When Jesus Christ pulls you over the fire, he can look at you and he can see his reflection in you. Are you going to be refined or defined by this situation in your life? The choice is yours. The choice is mine. So, disturbance, dependence, dream, delay, and then finally declare. We're going to fly through these next five points or else we're going to be here until next Tuesday. Declare. Everyone say declare. 
See, Nehemiah finally gets permission. He takes the five-month journey from Babylon down to Jerusalem. He circles the city three days in a row, doesn't tell anybody why he's there. And then he stands up and he says to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, because they're wondering, why is this guy with a convoy of people in our city? He stands up and he says, you see the distress that we are in, Nehemiah 2.17. You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates have been burned with fire. And I can imagine them pausing and saying, yeah, look around, dude. This has been the same way for 150 straight years. You think your big shot going to come in and help fix these walls? But he had the favor of God. Because you see the stress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste, and the gates of the birth fire come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of God that was upon me and the king's words that he had said to me. And then it says in verse 18, and then they said, let us arise up and build this good work. And they all put their hands together for the work. He finally was able to get the frog from his throat and vocalize and verbalize this thing that God had put on his heart. Maybe you have everything in line for what God wants to do. And you're just, you're waiting to just tell somebody. Why? Because it is scary, isn't it? It's terrifying. It's terrifying. This verse means so much to me because as a high school kid in Spring Hill, we wanted to, man, we, we wanted to take our city for Christ. I mean, we were just a bunch of naive high school kids who believed that you could change an entire city with the gospel. I'll never forget, after a football game one night, I was over at Jesse Robinson's house. We were playing Nintendo with Ryan Meek. And I said, guys, let's stop Nintendo. Let's pray for our city. So I took my brand new Bible that still had the perforated edges and everything. And I said, okay, guys, we're going to get a verse from the Lord. Now, I don't recommend this Bible study method, you know, because you could land on a lot of precarious verses um, that I don't recommend. But this is what I did. I said, okay, God, give me a word. I'm thumbing through, close my eyes, and I land on Nehemiah 2.17. And this is how I read it. You see the distress that we are in, how Spring Hill lies waste and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Kansas City so that we may no longer be a reproach. I said, guys, this is it. This is our marching order. This is our cry. And, and, and we saw God do some incredible things. Why? Because we were just naive enough to believe. Okay, the same God who raised Lazarus from the dead, the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who caused the sun to stand still is the same God inside of your marriage, inside of your finances, inside of your parenting, with your kids. You're like, and I'm not my kid. Yeah, your kids. The same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's time that, that we just start living with that audacity. Which brings out, once Nehemiah shares this dream, number six are the dreamers. Everyone say dreamers. Dreamers, these are the people where 75 times in Nehemiah chapter 3 that Jimmy Dodd spoke on last week did an incredible job talking about the teamwork of building this wall. Who is going to be next to you and who are you next to in this process? If you have a dream and a passion for your marriage, a disturbance of where your marriage currently is and where it needs to go, you're going to need some help. My, my wife and I see a Christian counselor every two weeks. We budget it. It's not cheap. We've done that for years. Why? Because I would rather be on the offensive. If I'm going to be giving marital advice, you better, I need to be receiving it. I mean, we need help. 
If he's given you a, a, a disturbance to get out of debt, you're, you're going to need some help. I mean, you can have a lot of pride, well, and look how far that's gotten you. Or you can get help. Who are the people next to you? And who do you need to be next to? So all these people are building the wall. They, they're excited. They're ready to go, man. We're, we're changing the world. We're, man, this is awesome. We're building this building. We're going to move in. It's great. Yeah, it's not that easy. Because number seven are demons. Everyone say demons. And everyone give a ooh. Oh, yeah. You see, here's something very, very profound that I hope you get. Ready? This is my, this is my Spring Hill High School education. Ready? Hold on. You ready for this? Light attracts bugs. Light attracts bugs. Like, if you're going to do something, if you're going to put a light on a hill, it's going to attract bugs just like an August baseball game. You look up at the lights and you see all the bugs. And there are lots of bugs in your world. And once you go public with this thing that maybe God has stirred you, you better believe it. There's going to be criticism. There's going to be naysayers. There's going to be attacks. There's going to be internal, external, demonic. They're everywhere. These cronies in Nehemiah chapter 4, man, they were creative with how they were trying to thwart the plan. It says in Nehemiah 4 and verse 1, so it happened when Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and very indignant. He mocked the Jews. Do you have any family members who mock you because of your relationship with Jesus? I did when I first came home. I first came home from youth camp after I got saved. I came home with my Bible underneath my arm. My stepdad was sitting on the couch. I said, Pop, I got saved. He goes, saved from what? I said, Jesus is in my heart. He goes, don't give me that, and I won't tell you the rest. He goes, Christianity is for weak people. It's a crutch. He goes, you give me a God that I can believe. This is like day two, right, after I got saved. You give me a God that I can see, I can touch, I can smell, I can feel, then I'll believe him. But until then, give up on me. I'm a lost cause. I'll never forget. I said, Pop, if you died today, where would you go? He looked at me. He goes, Milwaukee. At least pick a better city. Milwaukee. I tell you what, though, we prayed, and for two years I prayed and fasted, prayed and fasted, prayed and fasted. On my mom's birthday, June 25th, year 2000, right before I'm going to college, I got to lead that guy to Christ. I got to baptize him in a swimming pool because he was too big to fit in a baptistry. Big old boy. So unbelievable. Unbelievable but light attracts bugs. The Apostle Paul said that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of this dark world. My, my translation is very simple. If it bleeds, it's not your enemy. It may look like your mother-in-law, but she's not your enemy. It may look like your boss, but he's not your enemy. It may look like a co-worker down the cubicle, and you're like, man, I'm, next time he just asks, I'm going to ring his name. It's not your enemy. It's spiritual. When's the last time you prayed for them? When's the last time you've lifted them up? It's hard to be mad at somebody when you're praying for them every day. Amen? It is. Trust me, I know. The people who are building the wall wanted to quit. 26 days after they started, they wanted to throw in the towel. Why? Because they were listening to these discouraging voices, and they said, Nehemiah, we're done. Building block number eight, discouragement. I guarantee you, you've been there. 
They wanted to quit. They wanted to throw in the towel. They wanted to forfeit the dream that God had for the city of Jerusalem because they said, we have forfeited the farm for this. And all we're hearing is negativity, 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 negativity. We're done. Discouragement is real. It says in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 10, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. There is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. And in verse 11, our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. And then in verse 12, we see exaggeration. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us 10 times well, they probably didn't say 10 times, probably like three, but when we're discouraged, isn't it like we magnify the problem and minimize the promise? Well, that was good. We magnify the problem and we minimize the promise when we're discouraged. We hear things that aren't even there. I mean, in the book of Numbers, they're, we're grasshoppers compared to them. They're giants. They're not really. From wherever place they turn, they will be upon us. This is so near and dear to me because... Just, what, seven, eight years ago, I was pastoring a church, and it was in a very, very rural area in Kentucky, and the, t- the, the town was 12,000, the church was 1,000, and so my wife and I became like the mayor and mayor's wife, right? And for two years, every single Sunday almost, right before I would go to preach, I would hear a version of, you know, preacher, you're a really good guy. We like you a lot but you're not a very good preacher. And because my style wasn't, you know, spitting and hollering and hanky-waving and, and, th- and that part of the world, that, I mean, if you didn't, like, sweat and bless God with the D-A-W-G-D, you know, bless God, you know, and, and if th- th- that just wasn't preaching to them, I was, you know, and so they, they just said, you know, are you sure you're called to this? And at first, I was like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you crazy? But then, I'll tell you what, you start listening over and over and over and over and over again. And I wanted to quit. I wanted to get out of the ministry. I mean, I, I, I got to the point I didn't want to get out of bed. I was like, man, this, what's the point? What's the point? Even though I knew when I was 16, God gave me this disturbance for, for our city. But, but, but I was like, you know what? Maybe they're right. So I got so fed up, I went to a Christian counselor. And I said, Doc, I'm messed up. He goes, I know you are. He goes, we all are. He goes, I want you to get a yellow sheet of paper. So I got a yellow sheet of paper. He goes, I want you to write down all the lies that you're believing. I was like, what? He goes, just go ahead and do it. Right? What are the lies that you're believing? On the left side, lies. And I started off kind of generic, but then I got specific. I'm like, oh, man, you're right. Like, I had this as a constant loop in my brain. He goes, your homework is to go home and look at scripture and record the truth that combats those lies. And the truth will set you free. I'll tell you what, it took me about six months of just resurrecting just an old style of hab- habits and feeling sorry for myself. And I'll tell you what, I came this close, this close to forfeiting the dream that God has for my life. Why? Point number nine is determination. Determination. I love this passage in scripture because Nehemiah, he recognizes that all the people wanted to quit. All the laborers wanted to give away. All the 
plans that they had. They came so close. He, so he stands up and he tells them this. I love this. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 13. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, their bows. I looked in a rose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. And I watched Christian's sermon back in January where he was building the wall and fighting the enemy. And oftentimes you don't need to learn new things. You need to be reminded of what you already know. And let me tell you this, this is a season in this church of both building and battling. And you're saying, you know what? The dream of God in this community, it's worth fighting for. The dream of God on your life is worth fighting for. The dream of God on your family, for your kids, for your business, for your marriage, it is worth fighting for. So why are we laying down our swords and saying, enemy, just come take me? Why? No. No, get back up and say, you know what? I might be tired. I might be discouraged, but God is still in me. And the same Jesus who rose Lazarus from the grave is the same Jesus inside of us today. Amen. I tell you what, God has some incredible plans for this church. Unbelievable. It would be a tragedy upon tragedies to get so close and say, man, we just got discouraged. No, press through. Why? Point number 10. In 52 days, they reached their destiny. 52 days, they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. It takes longer for us to put a committee together. They built the wall of Jerusalem. Just imagine, imagine what would have taken place if that one spring day when Nehemiah's resting poolside reading his People magazine, if he would have heard the news and says, man, I'm, I'm going to put that on my prayer list. We wouldn't be talking about it today. And the glory of God might not have been seen in its capacity in his day. You see, my prayer is that you would be challenged, disturbed, motivated to dream big dreams. For small dreams neither stir the hearts of men nor of God. And there's an ultimate disturbance that may has been taking place. Or, or you, you may be in that experience right now where you don't realize that Jesus models the story and the life of Nehemiah to a T. You may not have looked at this this way, but you see, Jesus was disturbed over the condition of humanity. Jesus was in continual dependent prayer with his heavenly father. Jesus' dream was to rescue his people that he created from their life of sin. He experienced delay for 30 years living in obscurity. But then he declared his ministry. And what did he declare? My ministry is simply this, to seek and save that which is lost. He brought other dreamers around him, the, these disciples. He says, okay, we're going to do this together. And yet, guess what? Light attracts bugs. And at every corner, there were demons, both real demons and figurative demons who were trying to thwart the plan of God. And you know what? Jesus became discouraged. He, at one point, he says, no, not, not, not my will. If, if it's your will, Father, let this cup 
pass from me. I don't want to, I can't handle it. But then in that same breath, he experienced fierce determination. He says, but, but, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Where three days later, after being crucified, we all know the destiny. He rose again, giving us the opportunity to experience real life, real life in Jesus. So where are you today? Where are you? Maybe I appropriately disturbed you, and that's good. Maybe you need a relationship with Jesus. That's a starting point. Or maybe I just kind of shook things up. I would encourage you, wherever this message landed, to not just sit stagnant, but to do something about it. So let's pray.